And so we, we start to learn terrible things about ourselves. We start to believe bad things about one another. And that's the strength of media. That's the power of media is that it affects not only the majority and how they, their perspective on us, but it affects us and the way that we look at ourselves. And with Uncode, I know that that's our foremost goal is to, is for black people to see one another as a, like a diverse community. What's up, everybody? I go by the name of Domo. And I go by the name of Yoshiko. And each week, we sit down with cultural ambassadors to talk about how they defied societal norms to live their lives with, with no, no blueprint. blueprint. My name is Maisa Plonk Graham. I am creative director, uh, videographer, editor of Uncode um, with my husband Ali, who does pretty much everything else <laughs> in the company. But I'll let him go in further detail about his responsibilities. I am Ali Graham, the co-creator of Uncode, the founder of Uncoded Media, a local production company that my wife and I uh, own and operate. We put together stories, telling stories of minority communities, stories that are often looked over, bypassed uh, by other media outlets. Uh, so <coughs> yeah, that's what we try to do. We started the company about a year ago uh, with the intention of releasing a series of short form uh, videos uh, specifically geared toward telling the stories of African Americans, initially African Americans, and that uh, eventually branched out into all black people across the African diaspora. Nice. Yeah. How do you personally <clears throat> define culture? Mm. We I, I told you that I'd, I'd listen to this show. You think I know <laughs> the answer for that question? Uh, it's a descriptive word, I guess. Is that how we're defi Is that what you mean? You mean like personal? How do, how do I define it? So a noun. It's a noun. It's a noun. That's my three answer. Of <laughs> That's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> Look, after episode three of season one, with a read. Yeah. I've, I've, I've learned to ask that question with caution. Uh, <laughs> okay, got it. We heard that he he has a, like I mean he I don't think my introduction I don't think is going to be as as grand and great as his. He had a. <laughs> Arif does a lot, man. Yo, Arif is Arif is that dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I met I met the homie a couple of times. Uh, I had an opportunity of meeting yeah. him once at Amazon and another time outside. I think of that. Oh, uh, through the collective. Yep. Uh, we've passed mm -hmm. some some uh, conversation back and forth. So he's been. It's definitely a good person. Yeah, man. Good dude. Good dude. How do you define culture? I feel like culture. Other, I mean, I feel like it's a word that you can just look up. But I, I mean, I think for me, what in doing this project. Culture is um, as simple as just the things we do, our traditions, our rituals, um, our tendencies as a community, the things that bring us together, mm -hmm. the things that make us make one another more relatable, mm -hmm. and things that add humanity to one another. Sure. I felt like super abstract, but you know, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, culture. So in this conversation today, like I want to be able to talk about the way that y'all bring y'all culture to the media that y'all do, but also broadly talk about black culture and media, right? And open up that conversation while diving into like what got what got y'all to start telling stories about 
black culture and black folk um, in general and so get some some of the backstory all of that in one hour <laughs> no pressure no problem but you know it's funny because we were pretty well versed at it so sure. at breaking down the story I mean <clears throat> we I have a background in photography just so so like some just the technical backstory is just that I have a background in photography so I had dabbled in the visual arts and um, visual storytelling a little bit um, but in moving to Seattle we, we came out here because Ali got a job with Amazon and um, we found ourselves in a, just a very white space a very white city racially culturally <laughs> just very white and and you know having come from Los Angeles which is you know known for being a, a relatively diverse city and prior to that Atlanta it was quite a culture shock and I think what it boils down to is we felt like both in in real life encounters we were lacking a certain connection to black people but also in the media that we were consuming we didn't quite feel that we were seeing content that was speaking to us from us so that was something that we set out to do kind of that's real kind of <laughs> like real short story version of it but you know we had the again with my background in photography had the basic need the basic necessities to kind of get going mm-hmm. and that we had I had a camera so you know we pretty much had this idea my husband I feel like we told the story a hundred times but literally I woke up one morning he was sitting on the couch and was like I have an idea and from that moment we kind of brainstormed back and forth and and came up with this idea to to make it Media, a media short, short, short storytelling, um, short content storytelling from the mouths of us to us, right. um, a FUBU model <laughs> type of content uh, company. So, so that's that, and it's been great. I feel like it's gotten us in front of people and talking to people and really given us an opportunity to extend the platform that we're building to empower folks to be storytellers and understand what's possible through storytelling and through sharing one another's experiences. And so it's been great. Nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that concludes the interview. Thank right. you. Right. I, felt like, yeah. I felt like it was a great answer. No, that was that was yeah, really that was yeah. <clears throat> something you said where was that couch that couch like literally yes. was in lower queen anne seattle hella white zone <laughs> like whitest part of seattle yeah. i mean i don't know it'd be hard for me to say that but it was a super white it, well it's it's go ahead oh i was just gonna say seattle times just uh, posted an article saying that queen anne has the most expensive houses the medium price for a house now is one million dollars I mean, it's crazy. So, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, that's nice. And it, the other thing is that's important to mention about Lower Queen Anne is that with Amazon kind of having a hub relatively close to there, I know Seattle like sections off in neighborhoods and it's not technically Lower Queen Anne there in, um, what's it called? South Lake what, Union. South Lake Union. But um, it's just so, everything around us was so new. It just, there was not, there was very little flavor. You know, mm-hmm. everything looked like it was a new construction and everyone around us was an Amazonian and it was just like, it just lacked flavor. It's interesting because <clears throat> I've met so many black people in the last two years who landed in Lower Queen Anne. And I don't <laughs> so know random. how the hell yeah. all of these black folks who aren't from the city end up in Lower Queen Anne. Yeah. And the sad part is that when you're there, there's really no way to like make the jump to the south. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because 
no one's there to be like you belong somewhere else like you need to be elsewhere like no we had to the uncode is what got us out of lower queen anne and into columbia city and you know into the central district and just you know meeting people and learning people that have roots here that have generations of family that come from here and really right. gaining an appreciation yeah. for the legacy of black people right. in Seattle because I tell you when you come here and you're not from here there's really no way there's no path to right. Right. here are the brown and black people like this right. is where we're at because we were literally like there are no what there are just like this is only this is it. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. like this like, is it. It's yeah. yeah. So, um, man, coming and to the South End was quite, quite a lovely transition. And it's interesting. I I ended up in Crown Hill, which is like North Ballard, mm. when I first moved to Seattle. Um, you came here for school, right? No, I grew up in Kent, and so I. Grew, oh, oh, oh. Okay, okay. So okay. I grew up maybe. But I guess depending on what part of Seattle you're in, maybe mm-hmm. 20, 30 minutes south of Seattle, but not really knowing Seattle, the city outside of basketball and outside of when relatives came through, we went to the city. Went off to college at Central Washington and then after working in Seattle and commuting from Kent and then coming back from Japan, I moved to Seattle. And I didn't, like everyone else who moved to this city, I don't know what part of the city I should move to. So I moved to North Seattle because I had a friend who lived right upstairs. Quickly, like y'all, figured out this is not, this is not the business. And luckily I had a homie who grew up in South Seattle that always told me how dope it was on Beacon. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to Beacon too. Like, we're good. And I've been there ever since. Yeah. Um, but it's, and, and it, it just the difference between being the only person of color on the bus in North Seattle to like hearing like five different languages spoken on the bus in South Seattle, like there's a level of comfort that it brings. Also noting that like Seattle is what the number four safest metropolitan city in America as far as crime stats are mm. altered and sure. however they want to put it, but it's also what the number two Number two, number three, whitest city. Number top, one, top five. What? Number one, top number one. Really? It's number one. Yeah. We got King, Portland, King County, King County. It's the number one whitest. It's, yeah. It's the whitest. Damn yeah. it. Yeah. Regardless of what they say about nine eight one one eight. All right. Do you love yeah. that? Yes. It's the most. But, it, but it's it's like the like very like like it's so special the way they word that because yes. they're like it's not the most racist. It's not the most diverse. Right. It's not the most blah blah blah. Right. It's the most languages spoken. Like right. it's like so. <laughs> specific and it's like yeah i mean i don't know i feel like that is just ooh, white folks love to champion that one numbers that is their number one well you know um and it's like girl please um, <laughs> numbers can say whatever we want exactly no we were at i was at um and ali kind of tagged along i was at like a women's women in film yeah. panel which was great and I was super happy to go to and like meet other young women filmmakers and local um, filmmakers. But at one point there was, you know, it was a panel. And so at the end there was like a question and answer period. And I think in the way beginning of the panel, like maybe the second thing that I said that night was uh, what I said already here is that it was a culture shock to come to Seattle from where we had lived prior to coming here. And uh, this woman was like, you know, you said in the beginning, like literally an hour before, you said in the beginning that you were co- it was a culture shock to come here. And she was like, why is that? And I was like, you know, because Seattle is aggressively white. And she was, as an older white woman, she was taken back. Like she could not believe that that was my experience. <laughs> and I mean, 
you know, it, it, I reveled in the opportunity to be like, it's so white. You don't yeah. even know how white it is. <laughs> it's so white. Let me tell Seattle you how white is. Seattle is. Seattle yeah. is so white. Anyway. And getting but, whiter. And getting and whiter by the day. And so it was just crazy. The audacity to believe. It's just crazy. I mean, it just, to me, it was like another, it illustrates yeah. that just vast gap of just <laughs> the different experience it's, that we're having and just your inability to empathize with yeah. the experience that isn't yours. Like yeah. the fact that she was baffled by the fact, have you ever been anywhere and been around all black people? Well, neither have I, and that affects me. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think, and, and just I was thinking about it as you were speaking, it's like, it's I'm always so moved and kind of humbled by how deeply impacted by we are by just being around one another. Like it's mm. just, around like there doesn't even need to be conversation it's just right. like the presence of black and brown faces around me makes me feel better physically like i feel better right. and the fact that that's not something that you know it's it's tricky it makes me really feel a way that yeah. it's 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 an experience that other folks are in, unable to even realize is an experience that's right. happening you know, but again, that's that empathy thing that is so tough for people to acquire sometimes. I just read an article saying that the Central District went from 81% black in the 80s to 17, 18% black now. Wow. That many? Yeah. 17? <laughs> that <laughs> many? All right. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. That's actually pretty high, I feel like. I mean, it feels. I mean, yeah. <laughs> from right. 80% though? From 80% though. In what, 20, crazy, 30 man. years? Yeah. And, you know, we talk about gentrification. But. You know what's funny? I was just thinking to myself, I've never lived somewhere that I was uncomfortable living to before mm-hmm. I lived there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know that I am articulating that right, but like, do white people get it that you didn't come here because you were afraid of black people? Like, are they connecting, sorry, are they connecting those dots? Yeah. Like, you have lived in this city your whole life and you right. never lived in this part of it and you're not able to connect the dots like right. why right. you don't understand that you're displacing people you don't understand that there was a community there yeah. like you don't understand that you're infringing i think they do though okay i do i, 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 I not i think i know they do right i, 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 I just don't care i can't i can't even give that credit right yeah because I've been on I've been on the train and heard people say, "Oh, you know the Central District. Yeah, it's a nice neighborhood. I mean, you have to wait a few years, oh, and you know God. maybe you can rent it out to one of the nursing students. And it's like if you can't read between those lines, That's then it's, crazy. it's just a conversation. But if you can read between those lines, I know exactly what you're saying. You're giving them more credit than I do, right? <laughs> because I I I I, I immediately assume that they don't. It's, it's like it's. It's, it's not even populated. Right. Like, like oh, give it right. time until it's developed. As if there's <laughs> right, nobody right, as, yeah. as, as right, if it's right, a ghost town right, now. Right. Like, I don't even think that they recognize that there are people living there. Right. It's just, right. oh, well, when we get down there, when, you know, when, yeah. when we're it's able to. It's not real yet. It's not really. It's not ready yet. It's still cooking. Safe, then, then, then it'll be okay to move. I, well, oh, I, think, uh, I think to some people, it's that's the draw. Like, oh, it's so diverse and totally moving there. <laughs> so many different cultures. I mean, totally. listen, so, so, so what I've seen on, on uh, Twitter, and I'm, I'm forgetting <laughs> the woman's name now, but she, she tweeted something along the lines of, it's, you know, it's, you move in for the culture, but then you call the police on the culture. Like, right. like mm-hmm. this, we see what you're doing here. I, I <laughs> know because we've seen it yeah. uh, before in other cities, not only Seattle, it's just happening here now right. uh, to this area. 
uh, and it's going to continue to happen until everybody is is dis- displaced and e- either living in Kent or Renton or Tacoma or wherever else. There was and another. There's another area. Yeah, there there were a couple of other uh, areas North. in between North. here and there yeah. uh, that are being more populated by uh, black and brown mm-hmm. folks. I'm trying my best not to say people of color right. because I've learned that that's not the ideal term. Listen, uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm so well, tired. So as I'm to understand, people of color. Is is defining folks based on whites, oh. and so it's still <laughs> all right. Yeah, we're, okay. we're, st- we're still existing within their world. I it's, see, you have yeah. people, and then those people over there, they're yeah. the people of color. And I don't want to describe mm. myself or my yeah. people yeah. based on white folks, but this is something that my wife is eloquently. Uh, yeah, uh, that's my thing. I'm like, the, the more I hear that term, people of color, I'm like, why ugh, does that rub ugh. me the wrong way? <laughs> like it was, it was one of those things where I'm like, I'll say it. And I'll say POC because I understand that that's the going term. And we all, I mean, language is to a certain extent, like we're just trying to communicate, just to get an idea across, <laughs> make sure we both are on the same page. Yeah. I get that. But like the more I kind of started thinking about it, honestly, it's been recently that I've really started thinking about languages and the way that we kind of talk about things and the right. way that we label things. And just being like, yeah, people of color is like white is neutral <laughs> and then everything else is like people of color, like implying that people of color is, you know, there would be no people of color if whiteness wasn't a thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, and we're comparing it to whiteness, and it's like people of color only exist if we are kind of in living in a space in which we're kind of there's a. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. I, I yeah, feel like I'm not. I, well, because I'm, I'm. I mean, I think about what is whiteness. Right. Right. Like, let's 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 break that down. And in fact, I've I've started to check people. Someone told me the other day, "Oh, I'm half Vietnamese, half white," and I was like. So when you say white, what do you mean? And they were like, you know, just, just, uh, well, my dad was from, and it was almost as if like the person had never had to explain that. And I took note, like just a mental note of that and was just like, hmm, yeah, I'm, I'm, you, we should start asking people to break that, break that down yeah. a little deeper yeah. and a little further and not let you hide behind just that color. Right? Yeah. And what does that mean to not hide behind that color? But before we before we move forward, we didn't get to ask you where you were from and where you grew up. Born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. So my privilege comes from me being around not only a bunch of black folks, yeah. but being around different types of groups of black people. Yes. And you know what I mean? Like they're small niche groups. You have like your hipster black folks and then, you know, your your blue collar black folks and then your study degreed white collar black folks and you know your athletes and your rappers and your celebrities in addition to your architects and your dentists and your mayors and police chiefs and school superintendents uh so it's different and it made me even moving to uh my was saying earlier how we uh before we came to seattle we were in los angeles just experiencing la for all of the additional races and ethnicities uh that that city had um, that mine didn't, but all, but immediately seeing less black folks in LA, a city that's you know people are, are looking at as one of the more diverse cities yeah. in the country, it was indeed a culture shock for me to move from Atlanta to Los Angeles to Seattle, <laughs> where I think more than anything I'm discovering that I mean I, there was always some anxiety in moving here and even just living and existing here in the city now to this day, but I didn't really know what it was other than just you know there being a majority of white folks in this city. And I think in me just going over it in my head nonstop, 
I'm starting to realize that more often than not, it's just me growing real tired. Just working all the time. Y'all, as, as as black and brown people, work a lot more or differently than we did in the South. And by that, I mean you're just always cultural ambassador to white folks and just explaining. Mm. All right, well, this is what this means, and I have mm. to translate this to you for you or even if you don't do that in a number of different ways or or even consciously you're still doing it but you know just because you're the only one there and in atlanta i can count on i'm not when i come across my coworkers or my schoolmates in atlanta like i can i can bet that i'm probably not the first black person you saw today right either it came by the morning news or the person that you interacted with on your way to work or your way to school or something but here I mean, it could be Friday, and I could be the first black person you saw all week. I saw all week. And then you're going to know it because they're going to want to talk to you and (laughs) tell them their one story they tell all the black people they know. And, you know, it's become such a chore. Like, Like it really... And I don't know. I'm getting to the point. My mother is European, so I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to own the fact that I, as an individual, have a responsibility and that I have white... French white like living in, with, with full-on white privilege in Europe family members mm-hmm. so it's to a certain extent my responsibility to have uncomfortable conversations right. and just chip away <laughs> like just work at chipping away and it sucks and it's a burden that as black people a lot of us feel that we need to carry as a mixed-race black person I definitely feel like it's one that I have to carry just to continue shoving uncomfortable ideas and and people spaces that right. that I that I am related to, right. you know what I mean, or that I grew up with, but yeah, I mean it's absolutely a toll that we all this the constant code switching. It's a toll mm-hmm. that I don't know that a lot of us really like kind of even are taking a mental inventory that we're taking on all the time. And again, being cultural ambassadors all the time, just making sure you're one of the keeping everyone comfortable. You know, not ruffling too many feathers. You don't want to be too loud, too aggressive, too blah, blah, blah. And you know what I mean? Like these just kind of, again, I just feel like I say a lot, like taking the temperature of the room and figuring out, not not being yourself, but just figuring out what version to be in a right. given space to make sure that everyone's okay. Because not to, <laughs> to go extra far, but what we've learned is that making the majority uncomfortable can be harmful. Right. And so it's training, and it's just it's self-preservation. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that that's why <clears throat> I gravitate. There's a well, there's a lot of reasons why I gravitate to both of y'all, but one of the reasons is thinking about what does it mean to know your story and share your story and tell your story, right? And the more I interact with folks of color in Seattle, I start to get this feeling that folks don't acknowledge the power of knowing and sharing your story. And I had a meeting the other day down at Rainier Beach High School. They were talking about renovating Rainier Beach High School, which hasn't been renovated since 1960. And there's there's a whole backstory behind it that I would take a whole podcast to get into. But one of the students was like, oh, well, don't put the entrance on sewer because that's where all the shootings happen. Mm. And I was like, man, like, that's the story that you know about Seward. And I, that's not to take away, maybe the, the young lady saw a, shooting on, saw a couple of shootings on Seward. But if that's the story, that's the story that you know, and that's the first thing that comes to mind about your neighborhood, 
what does that mean psychologically and what and how are you telling your own story right and who's giving you the tools to really dig deeper and understand who you are in this context and this is just high school right let alone having to go out to where you'll go maybe go further north into seattle into the city and have to deal with trying to now tell your story in a different context and so i worry about that there's no real question there but well, I, I think oh go ahead well i think at the same time working with high school students and having them try to get their story out for personal statements for college uh, right. admissions applications i think a lot of times they don't realize they do have one because mm-hmm. they think oh i'm just like this you know i'm just like this girl or this guy mm-hmm. i don't really have a story i'm the same we're both just high school seniors, you know, right. doing this, doing that. So I don't think they know, even if that yeah. could be a story or they have a story, you know, they don't, they're like, I don't know. Right. I think that's so much of, of what our intentions are as well with Uncode, is just like empowering people to be oh, like, yeah. you got it. You don't need any extra tools, like steps, ingredients. Right. You, you just do, yeah. just do. And I mean, it reminds me oftentimes like, I would never like was like a real vigilant diary writer, but like the p- the few diary entries that I have, I always go back to, and it's super interesting to like read about where I was at like twelve or whatever. And when I was writing it in that moment, I was like rushing through it, not interested, like not thinking it would ever be interesting to read back. But then it is, and I think that's the power of storytelling is like you don't always know in the moment that this is a thing, this is a moment, this is a this is a special time because you're in it, and you're very seldom are we in the moment that we're in. We're usually right like thinking about yesterday or thinking about tomorrow but I think that retrospective kind of that the ability to be able to to be be in the moment and understand the power that you have in your experience whatever it has been up until now that that's powerful and even if it's not powerful for you right away like it could be powerful for someone else and that's another thing that we are that that we're trying to like help people come to is like you have it you have you have what it takes to potentially impact someone else and influence someone else or um, just edify someone else on what your life is like Um, because I think the more that we learn that we're all super different the more we'll feel okay being whatever it is that we are. Um, Not feeling like there's a mold or some sort of expectation, which I think people of color, minority folks have, I think, doubly just the expectations and roles and and kind of stereotypes that we're always kind of trying not to to Uh like, you know what I mean, like fit in with and just all that pressure. I think everybody has a story. I will, I'm, I'm one of those people who, I mean, Kids are boring. <laughs> Tell boring stories. But I think, for the most part, I mean, I mean we, we have like nieces and nephews and cousins, and just they have boring stories. But I think there there are a lot of interesting things that happen over the course of a day. And I think it's important for people to uh, understand that within you, you, there's something interesting and special about you. Yeah. And it's just a matter of feeling comfortable enough to share that with other people. As Maisa was alluding to, even if you don't really know how it might be able to help you, someone else hearing it might be inspired yeah. uh, or might be motivated to go off and do something. Or even just seeing you in all of your mundane day-to-day type of thing uh, might you know, be shot or edited uh, or with a really cool... Uh, song in the background to come off <laughs> kind of cool so when people see it it's like oh okay well 
you know, oh. it's a piece of art now. We, we saw you painting a wall, and that was right. kind of it. But it, it looked cool. Right. So now, and now I'm thinking of how I might be able to finish the piece that I was working on, right. or I might Just, be inspired to become a painter, or whatever. Yeah, seeing representation. That's it. Yeah. That's all it is. And I think, like, even as it connects to before you even get to media, I think about the going to school and like writing letters for scholarships. And I've had like someone who was a person of color come back and say, hey, like this essay that you wrote for this scholarship, that's not what they wanna hear. They wanna hear about your struggles. They wanna hear about all of the obstacles you had to face. And I was like, that's not my story. I yeah. wanted to like that's that's not the story I want to tell for myself. That's not the story that I want them to to hear from me. <clears throat> and too often, we don't write from an asset like based, and we're not allowed to be proud of who we are and, and the hard work that that came into like being who we were. Right, the hard work that it took for me to be black in America in 2017 and still be here, like and, and still doing my thing. And so I, I often. And then I'd, I'd look to media, right? And so thinking about, oh, 12 Years a Slave coming out? Oh, cool. Playing everywhere, huh? Every theater? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a movie with black people in it. Right. So to that end, uh, I think I've supported as much as I possibly can. Yeah, for real. With that said, though, I know that story, even if I didn't know that story. So I don't feel <laughs> like I have to really go watch it. Uh, and I feel a way with white people watching it because then like if you're like if there's any moment where there's some levity or like a joke to break the tension yeah. in the in the film or in the piece then I'm like you don't you don't have license to laugh at that be uncomfortable for for the whole 90 minutes like just sit there and yeah. take that out that's how that's how this is gonna work <laughs> you're gonna be uncomfortable because I'm uncomfortable watching this I right. have to go back to this time now where I'm seeing people who look like me get beat on screen right. I deal with this shit all day every day anyway now I have to pay nine dollars to go see it right. no like this is not <laughs> what this is but with that said we didn't, we also uh, to the same so Stephen Queen a great director yeah. I hear that movie was shot really beautifully uh, it was well acted I, I hear I, I don't know I've never seen it I don't plan on seeing it I read the book that was enough for me I'm, just, I'm good I'm, I, don't, I don't need to go into it any further and the help in the butler and all that I mean I'm sure that they were well paying films and everybody everybody's check cleared but that's as much as they were also called the help and the butler and like, I feel to, like the name alone, I'm like, in the Haiti Jack, I'm not interested. <laughs> shout out to, to Ava like, for, for directing Selma and all that. I, Ava's that, amazing. I'm telling that woman, like, we, we've goals. given a number of interviews where yeah. I've credited her of being a, a household hero uh, yeah. and just being She's inspirational awesome. to us and, you know, how we look at the stories that we create. But at the same time, I don't want to go see Selma. Yeah. And I felt mm -hmm. a little uncomfortable walking my dog around the Pacific park. Science Center, yeah. like where the space And when they do is. the movies outside. And there's just a bunch of white people uh, laying in the grass watching Selma. Watching Selma, like, why, Selma. Do you, why, do, why yeah. do you guys want to do this? Like, this is not a good night. This is not <laughs> like a happy, it, feels it was like a, like a family night. It's like a to yesteryear where they're like, ah, look how, look how comfortable it was. <laughs> look how, look Back how then, we had in But America was great. Oh, no. It was great. Remember that? Remember, remember when, nah, man. MAGA, make, man, make America great <laughs> yeah. again. That's, I'm like, what days are y'all, I really want to know what days y'all talk about. Because... 
that's what I'm thinking they talking about when they had us in line when they had everybody in check at the same time though I mean shout out to all of them uh, because I do think those stories are necessary and important to tell yes, however I will say as I, as I shared before uh, in the Hello Black Hello Seattle podcast mm-hmm. shout out to them that if you don't tell the whole story or additional stories then you're right. not really mm-hmm. doing our communities uh, a good service well and that's i think that's my thing is like there's so many other stories yeah. that need to be told with quality right like i think about just even history class as a black student in american history black folks were slaves and then lincoln freed the slaves and then Malcolm X came. Well, and George, George Washington Carver. And then, well, the yeah, peanut, yeah, they'll the give you that. You're right, you're right. George Washington Carver yeah, did the, did the right, peanut butter. Right. MLK came along, and and then Obama got elected. Look, maybe, you, maybe you'll get Tupac, but then Obama got elected, right. and then uh, we're post-racial. I don't. I can't call it. I was listen. I was born and raised in the South, where we stood up every day and pledged to a flag with the confederate flag directly under it so what? it's just a, right wow. so you guys reacted to that but that's every person living it or who is raised in the south listening to this podcast right now understands exactly what i'm talking about it was two flags at the front of the classroom Damn one man. was the american flag the other was the confederate and you looked at in the same direction and put your heart over your hand and said the pledge of allegiance every morning and so when that's the start of your day right and then in february when you're learning about black history month as you alluded to and you say the story starts with your people were slaves not people who came to this country enslaved right Right. Right. But slaves, this is how, this is where you started. Right. You were born into slavery. That's how your people came to an existence. And I mean, like, even if you're a white kid in that class, you're already looking at the black folks if you do have any right. in your class. You know, in a in a in a, in a light already that's not favorable, right. and that's we have to start from there. Right, mm-hmm. right, so and so then that's why even even thinking about storytelling, right? Like, there's so much that happened. Like, I love history. Because there's so much that happened in between all of those times that I didn't get in school. And so I don't read for pleasure and like read for fantasy like I like I, I feel like I should be doing. I read because I feel like I miss so much in history and understanding like there has to be more. And so I've, I'm constantly finding myself reading autobiographies, historical like readings on black folks and trying to understand. So so wait, what? How did how did how did we end up with the most black people uh, in jail and prison in the United States and we only make up what percentage of people here? Like and then like this is this is all design, right? And so I'm in, I'm intrigued. Yeah. I'm intrigued. Well, I think that's the the thing, right? Is like our experience is so often just of struggle, of resilience, yeah. of strength, which are great things, you know, I guess nothing that I am not proud to have come from. Mm. But there's a spectrum, you know what I mean? Right. And it just seems like a lot of times brown and black and brown folks are not quite allowed in the media are not quite allowed to have that same spectrum right. and that same breadth of experience. Our stories are always this way and of this type of kind of like mm-hmm. this narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that does every it literally does everyone a disservice right. because whether it's you know information we're getting from media or if it's in, in the classroom in history books like we're all being fed this same misinformation right. so while i as a black student am learning that i am a slave right. 
your you as a, as a non-black student are learning that you come from people that own slaves. Yeah. I'm learning that that I'm learning that about you and this about myself. You're learning this about me and and this about yourself. And so mm-hmm. now we're kind of carrying along this information. We're being taught the same kind of the same kind of philosophy and ideology throughout our lives. Right. And so we we start to learn terrible things about ourselves. We start to believe bad things about one another. And that's the strength of media. That's the power of media is that it affects not only the majority and how they their perspective on us, but it affects us and the way that we look at ourselves. And with Uncode, I know that that's our f- foremost goal is to is for black people to see one another as a, like a diverse community right. that you know to a certain extent I think we we know that about one another but there's a real strength and a real kind of I don't know a place of power I think that we can continue to show examples of the many ways in which we exist and the, the ways in which we live to just keep on adding to that narrative yeah. and just keep on adding facets to this this thing that that is you know our community and it's vast I so see. vast you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. So we're trying to show it all, show every way that you can possibly be. And yeah, hopefully it it, it affects our young people now, the future, you know? So hopefully they can take that and be like, oh, I can do that. Right. I can right. be in tech. There's a, there's a space for me there. Uh-huh. I can be an artist. I can right. be a plumber. I can be anything, you yeah. know what I mean? Like there is no, I'm stuck. Like there is no, that is not a thing. That right. is not a thing. Right. Don't believe the hype. How did you, how did you originally get into photography? Well, I've always been interested in the arts. Um, and when I was in at, living in Atlanta, I was kind of trying to pursue a music career at one point and was kind of interested in photography when I was in college. And outside of college, I was like, let me take photography up again. So I went on Craigslist and found like a $25 camera and bought it. And it was like this little film camera, a little Nikon. And just kind of started walking around the city with my friend, just kind of taking street photography, really, just taking pictures of people that I found interesting. And that's really where it started. So I was doing a little bit of that in Atlanta, and then that continued in Los Angeles and started being a little bit more professional in Los Angeles, taking uh, you know more fashion and lifestyle stuff. And then I worked for a fashion company. And, you know, just kind of stayed dabbling in photography. And then eventually, again, in moving to Seattle, we decided to take on, you know, film. And then I had literally never, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, I did study video. I did study news and broadcast, so I wasn't totally out of my element. I really had not really considered doing videography and doing film at all. When we first started recording, I was very green. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still consider myself pretty green, but it was a, it was a new venture and a new way of, of, of storytelling and a new way of kind of using this tool that I had. Where'd yeah. you go um, for broadcasting? Where'd you go to school? I went to Tennessee State University in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, I was gonna say, I don't think we asked <laughs> you your background. Like, where are you from oh, originally? Yeah, originally from San Francisco, California, Bay Area representative, 415, and uh, went to school in Nashville, Tennessee because I wanted to go to an HBCU. So I ended up in Nashville, which was way different than the Bay, <laughs> as you can imagine. And um, and yeah, I, I ended up kind of staying in the South after college a little bit, which is where we met. And um, 
yeah, I studied radio and television broadcasting. My plan, again, I wanted to be in music. I wanted to be a singer. So my plan was, I was obsessed with Ludacris in high school, and his trajectory was that he majored in radio and television, was on radio, and then kind of segued his career into, you know, into being a rapper and in hip-hop. And so that was going to be my plan. So I was going to study radio <laughs> and television broadcast and, uh, and then go off and start a music career. And so that's what I studied. I, I've emphasized in radio, though, so less of the kind of the media and TV uh, stuff, but I did get down in the editing bay back in college days, which have definitely helped me. Nice. Like in my current days, like I'm able to kind of lean on those those days. But those are my beginnings. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So then, you grew up in Atlanta. Where'd you go to school? What uh, part of Atlanta? I guess uh, is so uh, I grew. I moved around a lot, okay. and the reason I bring that up is because it kind of it reflects. Uh, Moving around so often and kind of compartmentalizing the people, like the sections, like I had middle school friends and high school friends and then college friends and just, you know, kind of, again, mm -hmm. compartmentalizing allowed me to work a lot better as a contractor and kind of just coming into groups and corporations and not really attaching myself too much to the to the the, the company itself but yeah anyway I, I don't even know why I went to that uh, uh grew up uh south south Atlanta so everywhere from College Park to Briar Clef uh after I graduated school which is kind of like around the Buckhead area if you guys know anything about Atlanta it's kind of midtown I went to Georgia State Left Georgia State uh, because at the time they didn't have a music major, uh, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to major in something in the music business, and I had an understanding of licensing and contract law. Uh, just because you, if you're born and raised in Atlanta, you know somebody who's a rapper or a producer or something. <laughs> and I, I wasn't too creative, but I would take uh, a lot of pride in helping friends of mine understand the contracts they were signing. And just trying to help them kind of like read it out. Oh, this is what this means. And this is why you want to try to get rid of this provision, things like that. And just getting a good understanding of the back end of music, of the business of music. Right. While my friends were the more more creative types. Uh, so that kind of led me down this path of just understanding music law, music licensing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where my world was. Uh, and then I realized that Georgia State couldn't provide me with a music major, a music business major. I had to play an instrument. Uh, and so I knew that that was going to bomb that. So I was like, I got I to gotta change school. So I found a, a media school uh, in Central Florida called Full Sail. Uh, and I graduated with a business and inter entertainment business and law degree. Uh, so that kind of kept me in the world of music business and understanding contracts and licensing and things of that nature. So when I came back to Atlanta, uh, I was working as a music supervisor. And I was the person who what? would be hired to play songs in films and TV shows. So, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. So, so music revision <laughs> became this really cool thing yeah. that people like were digging digging in because they it was I mean it was a it was a dope uh, job to have uh, in the film industry one because you just work around just cool songs and you get to be known as like the person who plays that really cool song <laughs> in that scene. Uh, but where I kind of shined was on the back end of that and understanding music licensing and being able to actually secure that song for that placement mm -hmm. for a low amount of money and negotiating a pretty good deal. So for the independent producers in Atlanta, the directors, I mean, the, the filmmakers, the independent filmmakers in Atlanta, it was easier on their budget to deal with people like me because I could secure music licenses for a pretty cheap, a fair amount. And also because I knew a number of independent musicians who were really uh, willing and, and able to license any of the... Uh, music that they were creating for films. So mm -hmm. it was kind of, you know, I had my foot in, in, in both worlds and soon I became 
uh, the only person in the city doing it. Uh, well, I, there was one other person doing it who happened to be my mentor. So you had to choose between the two of us. And she would just have uh, conversations with me. She was like, listen, you're going to outgrow the city. And for what it is that you want to do, you're going you're gonna to move to L.A. eventually. And at the time, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to L.A. But sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Uh, and I ended up somehow working for Warner Brothers, doing some music rights, uh, music and film rights and licensing for a number of their titles there. 42. Yeah, yeah, and just working on some really cool projects. I was going to say, I was like, are we under a code of secrecy? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it was just so. He plays the, wait, wasn't it the Jay-Z song in the trailer, in the, in the so 42 team? So it was a couple of cool things that I was able to work on. I made it sound so gay. The Jay-Z song? No, I remember. I remember, I remember, I remember <laughs> watching so that trailer and hearing Jay-Z and being like, oh, I'm going to watch that now. Yeah, yeah, we were in the theater so when I that didn't. played. Like, he didn't know that it was. No, so we got, yeah, like, so in LA, it was, so it, was it sounds cool. But it sounds whatever. It's such a part of the right. It's so LA, but I mean, it's a part of the economy. Like music making is just it's Absolutely. it's what people do. It's what you do. And because my position with uh, Warner Brothers, I was able to work on some really cool projects and see yeah. my name attached to some something, or see the company I worked for yeah. and the department's name attached to certain projects. <laughs> right. So my name was a part, a, a part of it, which I grew tired of eventually. Right. Uh, but yeah, so you know that that's what, that's what got me to LA. I was doing that for a little while, working on a number of independent features. Mysa had a, a song featured, nice. and she doesn't oh. like me mentioning hey. that, but. Uh, no, because they misspelled my name. <laughs> they oh, did. No. Oh. But it was really like big. so bad. Like they 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 spelled it Miles. Like it was a whole <laughs> other was name. Like it wasn't even. It was cool. It was cool because it was, we were able <laughs> it was to. So bad. We were able to see. Like we were able to go so to bad. a movie and see her name. Miles. Yes. Miles. Not my name. <laughs> it was like Miles. The check. Like, the, 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 the name. The name on the check was, was spelled correctly. So we were right. fine. We got so the check. Uh, so but yeah, you know, kind of just living in that world is where uh, what we were doing in LA and just living a life of artists in, in Los Angeles was was a really cool experience. And then I got a life changing opportunity when I worked with Beats and working with Dre's team and Jimmy Iovine and Luke Wood and all the really cool people who were part of the, the Beats by Dre team yeah. uh, and just being a part of that world when Apple came in and really getting an understanding of the merger and acquisition process and how tech really works. Yeah. I think that's that kind of leads us up to <laughs> yeah. to, to today. I was poached fast. after the the acquisition closed and being a part of the legal team with Beats. And once we sold off to Apple, and it became Apple Music. Yeah. Uh, is when Amazon gave me a call and they're like, "If you want to relocate to Seattle, yeah, this is how much we'll pay you." I was like, "Yes." <laughs> so wait, y'all met in Atlanta or you met in mm -hmm. Los Angeles? We met in Atlanta, nice. and then I moved uh, to LA. Okay. And then she moved to LA shortly after that. So the two cities that we lived just prior to Seattle were hella different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, been, it's, been, it's been a roller coaster ride yeah. uh, for sure, and trying to just catch the speed of the yeah. of the neighborhood of okay. the city of Seattle. Right. And I think it's it's, mo it's I'm mm -hmm. I'm discovering that it's the the issue in catching the speed for me anyway is just realizing how 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 the work. How, yeah. how you guys have to do the work here that I think I took for granted in Atlanta yeah. we didn't have to do it so much I could there's a lot of like real yeah. gentle racism here I mean <laughs> it's, it's like I mean it's I don't want to say gentle but it's like 
it's like it's like it's like it's, a, on, it's like layers i'll yeah. say like it's like an onion like you just have to peel back just a little and you see it it's it's right there but there's like a nice little kind of like cover over it's just it. a different color for me in, right, in, the, yeah. in the south is green here's blue exactly. but it's still racism yeah. there's, a, there's a sign in our neighborhood i put it on my instagram because i was like so every time i see it i literally i feel like assaulted <laughs> there's this sign and it makes me think of it too and we're talking about gentrifying neighborhoods that these signs pop up particularly in those areas and like yeah. the gentrified neighborhoods these black lives matter signs or the the um the one that's like in the rainbow colors yes. and it's like in this house we everything. believe and it's like all of the ones yeah. which are great in theory but i feel like i only see those in gentrified neighborhoods like i right. see those in the central district in white household windows i don't see them in black neighborhoods like you're yeah. a, a gentrifier and you're trying to pacify the people that you know you kicked the, out of their neighborhoods. Listen, there's a million dollar home on the corner of my block that was just built six months ago, and it has a Black Lives Matter sign. In you the don't yard. believe that? And I was like, hmm. all you all you did was buy that sign. That's all you did. That's all you ever did for Black Lives Matter yeah, for Black Lives. But there's one though in our neighborhood that I just recently spotted, and it's so slick and just evil this woman bought it's one of those we believe right i don't know if you guys know but anyway the, i took a picture i have a picture of it she covered up the black on the black lives matter she got like she like blacked it out and replaced it with all she wrote in like orange and so it's written in orange letters the black lives matter one and she wrote in orange writing all so it's like she like modified her sign. Damn it. She agreed with everything she lived, but Black everything Lives Matter. Everything but that. All y'all can say but y'all. And I mean, it's Columbia City, which is yeah. 98118, yeah. which is like diversity center, you know, yeah. right in the middle of Columbia City, right off Rainier. Damn it, man. Wow. You know, yeah. and it's like, that's what white people consider progressive. Like well, this is like, I feel every time I walk by that sign, like I feel that is malicious. Every right. time I walk by it, I'm like, you, yeah. are trying to go to war with me and I'm right. just trying to walk my dog yeah. <laughs> like you right. know right. make all that effort to right. like so much Take effort off, like you know, I saw it and I'm like so you went on Amazon got your little thing you also threw in like some black paint in the shopping cart <laughs> right. you also went ahead and like found some orange like you really went in like you yeah. had a shopping cart full of shit that you was gonna modify your little stupid ass silent <laughs> like every time I'm like so me. was it in one trip like right. or did she did it used to say Black Lives Matter and then she came back and was she like you know what like clearly you're a crafty ass bitch you you got maybe she just had her shit on deck already like she just had her little tools and she just was like let me get my orange i just was so every time i walked by that it's so obviously it's hella premeditated she was like it's an orange let me buy orange right like right you know right pantone it might be a compromise like she might have been given it by like you know right like so I'll, I'll put, it, put it in the yard, but I just don't like that it says black. It just sounds so Black Lives Matter. All I just, I'm just, I the psychology. I, I want the backstory. Is the conclusion is I want to knock on her door and be like, what? I also want to knock on her door and be like, you know, your sign is vandalized. Like just to see. You know, did you see what someone did to your sign? Um, but anyway, what if someone gave it to her crazy. like that, and she didn't notice? I don't want to give her that much credit. I know <laughs> she changed that sign. I just I and then so this is like and this is the feeling that, that like it. you know like, no, I don't agree with that. that we have to carry all the time is like the knowledge that it's just beneath the surface. <sighs> There's this lurking 
shit, like judgment, yeah. fear, otherness yeah. that people are projecting onto you all the time. I was, I mean, I've, I've become way more pessimistic about institutions like coming to their senses about things, but I've become way more optimistic about the power of my community. And I haven't always felt that way. Not that I haven't been optimistic about my community, but I, being in this space now as like an entrepreneur and having to like really rely on my community to get shit done has just empowered me from a standpoint where it's like, no, nah, I'm not waiting for somebody to give me anything. I mean, you don't I'm have gonna, to. You got the support yeah, system. I'm gonna. Well, and then they won't. Like, yeah, it, also, it doesn't work. <laughs> it, it doesn't work in their favor to yeah. to extend the olive branch. It does not right. work in their favor to give us to 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 yeah, create like spaces with equity. It does not make sense for them to. This is like you said. It's by design. Well, it's by yeah. design because it works in their favor. Absolutely, it works in their favor to continue experiencing living with privilege in this country. And right. You know, so on and so forth. <laughs> like it works in their favor, and so there's no reason for them to hand over and be like, "Okay, fine, we'll share." Yeah. No, you're right. But Why? I think do, man. You're if, right. If I'm understanding you correctly, then I think in <clears throat> light of that, and yeah. even with knowing that, yeah, uh, there's an understanding that comes along with that where you're like, but also within my own space right. with my own people yeah. I might be able to reach uh, a new level or a different level of success right. which is our own now and right. is something that we you know that we can relish in and and there's you know, feel like a real yeah and with. there's a real sense of empowerment in that like building that autonomy and that right. we don't need a cosign we don't right. need that well, we like, have enough to just rely on one another and do fine and I've, I've I want y'all to talk about some of the other <clears throat> stories that y'all have, have already released and, and, and told. Um, and yeah. So the first one was Tark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was fe the Feed the People uh, story. And, uh, Shout out it, to Tark. Yeah, Tark Abdullah, Chef Tark. Yeah, so the story uh, essentially just tells him and the effort and the work that goes into this. Is, this we, we filmed him late last year, so I want to say maybe October, November of 2016. Uh, when he was doing the pop-up brunches around the South End, uh, specifically Star. at uh, yeah the Morning Star brunches, specifically at the the Royal Room on, on Rainier, and uh, we had attended. We had a couple of people who had uh, told us of the 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 event uh, a couple of times, so we just kind of wanted to one get an idea of what a pop-up brunch was, the type of work that goes into it, but also try to get him to share the story for other people who might you know want to or who consider themselves to be <laughs> chefs or might you know be interested in going into that field, that industry what uh what it takes to you know make some money on a weekend and it, you need this you need the, the this team of people you need a someone in the front of house on the back of house you know second i don't know with the second chef is that the term i don't know what the term is. Uh, sous chef that's what i'm looking for uh yeah uh you know the and it it can be homeboys it can be people that are at your church and if you have these people who are willing and able to show up at eight o'clock in the morning then everybody can get paid and this right. is you know you come up with a menu and blah 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 so that was kind of the first story that we released uh the first story that we shot uh, was uh, Miss Liberation, which included Aramis Hamer uh, as she painted the mural, the 130-foot mural outside of the KEXP building. Shout out to Aramis. Uh, yeah. yeah, and, and that, that was just all Maisa's work. She came Lower into, Queen in into contact with, with Aramis early, <laughs> early in 2016. 
and then we <clears> caught up with her again, or Maisa caught up with her again as she was painting outside, and she was just like, we need to tell the story of how this happened, who right. you contacted in the, in the city, or who contacted yeah. you, and all the steps that you needed to take in order to get this mural on the side of this building. So again, our audience can look at it and go, oh, okay, it's not that hard. She's magic, and right. like you, you, were, you were describing uh, uh, Nikita Oliver, Absolutely. definitely magic, but the magic is tangible. You can, it's nothing that can't be uh, recreated. It's real. Right. Right. Yeah, right. and it's, it's something we're that magic, you can do. We're magic, but we're real. Right. If yeah. one person so, can do it, you can do it. Right, Absolutely. and it's not so, it, it is It is a, a Herculean effort. It might be a ton of work, but if you do step one, then two, then three, then it's you the, also can do this thing. It's available to you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, so from there, I think the next one was Dominic. And Dominic was or is a drag performer who performs at our place here in the city, Capitol, Capitol Hill. And um, yeah, man, just I, I always describe this dude as just a local Seattleite. He's been yeah born. He's a born and raised in Seattleite. What's interesting is that he, uh, in telling us his his whole his whole story, went to a bla all black prep school, school yeah. here in Seattle mm -hmm. that we had kept hearing about um, called Zion Prep. Mm -hmm. Zion Prep. <laughs> shout out to Zion Prep. Shout, shout out to Zion Prep. RIP. Complex now. Yeah. Yeah, so we live yeah, there. Yeah, so we live there. Oh, so, so shout we out, didn't shout out, even shout out know that we did that. <laughs> But we did that. Like we learned the other day, and they were like, "Yeah, you know." Like we were talking. I think it was Christy of that Brown Girl Cook. Shout out yeah, to yeah. Christy. Shout out to Christy Brown, <laughs> like, yeah, hella name drops. But um, <laughs> but she was like, "Yeah," like we were like, you know, love by gentrifiers and and she was like. Oh yeah, she was like, oh, she was like, yeah, you know that. I was like, you know, now that we live in Columbia City, we live. She's like, where do you guys live? And I was like, you know, we live right across from the um, from the Columbia City train station. She was like, oh, well, what's interesting is that that used to be an all black prep school. And I was like, well, damn, we right. just, so this um, just me bullshit flipped the neighborhood with, with Google up. Google Earth and just you know, right? Put your, put your oh yeah, and you mess so around sad. And see, like a time. Right? Yeah. You see, you Ugh. see, you see the picture of what it used to look like, like in 2015 Damn. or something yeah. like that. And I'm like, ooh, well, you know, this is how it happens. Like right. people from out of South, I, we we moved here because yeah. of, I that had a job at Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't tell you about what used to Nothing be here. When, you know what I mean? And that's that disconnect. It's like as gentrifiers, which we absolutely are. Yeah. You don't get the story. They don't, and that's again another thing by design. It's like unless you dig, which we have because we're black people and we wanted right. to connect with other black people, and we've since learned about the history of black folks in this area. But yeah. white people aren't going to do that. Right. They don't. You know what I mean? They right. want a nice little new apartment that's close to work. Well, and right. I was I I been <clears throat> talking with a friend, uh, my home. Shout out to my homeboy Chev. Um, just about the thought of gentrifying, right? Like, because even myself, I didn't grow up in Beacon Hill. Like, I moved right. to I moved to Beacon Hill, and I can afford to pay for this rent right. over here. Right. So, me and my fiance and my roommate all yeah. put together, and we moved over here. And I was like, damn, like, ooh, like that's that's layer one of gentrifying. Like, ooh. And he was like, well, you know, he was like, don't really think about it that way because you still <laughs> that's how they get you, you still support like, community. You're kind of like mind freaking like, yourself. I was like, no, that's still <laughs> right. that's still level one. That's level one. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, and they're level. Levels to this shit, yeah, like real talk. Amazing. There are levels Massive to this shit. Levels. Next is Subway, right. and after Subway is Starbucks. Right, like So in the area that we lived in, uh, <laughs> in Los Angeles, LA, yeah. we so we lived on, on Main Street, and at the top of our, but we can go to the top of our building, yeah. and. Main Street in 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 downtown Los Angeles is kind of like a, a a marker. Yeah. If you look to the south of Main Street, and I mean, the street the next next, next yeah. is is Skid Row is what they call Skid Row. Yeah, so just. I know. Mm. 
tons of homeless people, just houseless people just out there on the street. And you look to the other side of Main Street, the other side of my building, just walk to the other corner right. if you're on the roof. And then, you you know, they're bankers and architects and attorneys that live on the that financial, end. financial, you know. So you can, see, you can see, see you know, the, the, right. the, the dividing wow. line they're there. Lying. And yeah. I remember when we, when we, were, we were on the roof, just kind of kicking it, and I remember we spotted like a subway, and I was like, "Oop, it started." A subway on the Skid Row side. We were Skid like, Row mm. side. I was like, "Yep, this, this is <laughs> right. how this that is how we started." That wouldn't have been there six the months ago. Right, right. And like that's sure that enough, they planted like, that know, flag. We, we moved uh, shortly after that because we came to Seattle, and then just me looking at LA News uh, maybe a couple of weeks Shut ago, up. up to a month ago. <sighs> Shot up, and I'm talking multiple. thousands. But I mean, honestly, us even so much so that the people in downtown Los Angeles right now are saying that their rent is comparable to Beverly Hills rent. Yeah. And wow. I'm like, we've not, we, we, this is 2017. We've yeah. not been gone that long. Right? Yeah, but I mean, but but it's it's important to say that even us living in that building, that was that was level two. Like it had already started because yeah. you know people that I had met that I don't know very much about LA prior to prior to moving there, but people that we had invited to come visit us mm -hmm. that were from LA they were like where do you guys live right yeah. I was like you know we live downtown LA like what mm -hmm. where though yeah, yeah, yeah. on Maine like we were like it's a dope apartment like you're and gonna love like, it and they were like Ooh. are you sure <laughs> right so yeah. already yeah you know it had started That's and so crazy. yeah it's so levels, you, I mean, little you know, baby steps and then it's all of a sudden two years later your whole neighborhood is flipped right and you're looking like you what happened <laughs> like crazy. it happened so fast that's crazy. What? Yeah. So after Dominic, yeah. Okay. So uh, so Dominic was oh, yeah. the yeah. So the, uh, just the story about the the drag form, but more than that, just who he was as a person, why he went into performing. Yeah. You know, just a good time if you want to go support dancers and right. and, and and showmen right. here in the city. Shout right. out to Dominic. Go see. Shout go see. Go see Amora. Uh, and it was on, also on Saturday nights really, at our place. Yeah, critical for us to like right out the gate have some LGBTQ representation Absolutely. in the way that we depict black folks because yes. we have a real problem with homophobia in our community. Yeah. And that is something that I was immediately like, nope, not yeah. on this platform. Absolutely. That is, there's no room for that. That's right. So, and obviously like with, with anything, I think representation, representation, representation. You know what I mean? The more that we start to just meet people, mm. Okay, so he happens to be a man that enjoys the company of other men. Right. Side note. Right. That is a side right. note because right. first and foremost, you're, you're meeting this person. And so I think that the more we start to normalize one another as people, the less we start to feel comfortable hiding behind these stupid ideas that we have. Absolutely. In addition to the fact that he is just a star and just the most lovable yeah, person ever. to be in front of a camera. Side <laughs> yeah. note, shout out to Northwest Tap Connection because they're working on a project called Black Boys. Okay. Word. And it's supposed to be some pretty dope stuff. They had a really they're great, so good. yeah, they had yeah. a really great short, I think that premiered yep. at the SIF. That was so good. About? I'd only yeah, seen like bits of it. They were so good. That's fine so, too. So, so good. That's so fine good. too. I went to their showcase. My mentor's daughter was performing in their showcase and she was, she's seven and came out to Are You That Somebody? Oh, and, and shut it down. So cute. Shut it down. Um, yeah, I work with them. They're amazing. Yeah. They're so good. They're dope. Like, I do I know. Yeah. It makes you want to like jump in with the camp. That's what's up. <clears throat> yeah, we this, need to connect with them. All of your videos are on YouTube. Yes. All our videos um, are on YouTube. There are longer stories. Our longer form stories are all on our website. Yes. But to get the full kind of thing of all the stuff that we've made, trailers, teasers, and other little things that we've done is our YouTube page. Theuncode.com. The Uncode, and it's U-N-C-O-D. Yes. 
E. I. E. <laughs> Uncut. People like people for some reason stick an I in there. So Unicode. I didn't use yeah. Unicode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which so, is, I don't know why that happens. Uh, so we have uh, all of our, uh, we produce short form content. So all yeah. of our stories are uh, between two and 10 minutes. And yeah. the reason why we went with that route is in doing a lot of research and trying to discover how black folks black and brown people just in general consume media oftentimes one it's through their phone uh and the way that they're connecting to the internet oftentimes is through a mobile uh data plan uh so we know that if we were to produce content uh and it was and if it was to be shareable then we needed it to be manageable and 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 viewed on a on a mobile device and typically if you're watching content on your phone you're going to tap out like around 10 minutes the sweet spot is like three to four minutes but anything longer than 10 minutes you're probably going to watch on a desktop or your laptop or an ipad Mm -hmm. anything longer than 30 minutes you're probably going to watch on the television something like between 30 and 90 minutes you watch you watch on tv at the home at home on the crib Mm -hmm. so if uh we wanted to produce these stories and get them out to as many people as possible. Black people come second to none in navigating social media and spreading the words as being trendsetters online. Yeah. Uh, we knew then that if that's where our audience was, we needed to meet them where they were most comfortable, which would be via YouTube or through sharing our stories on Facebook or, or Twitter. Uh, major, so that's 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 how you're major able to keys. access our, Right. So major that's, that's how we're honestly this is this is stuff that we know already. This isn't like I'm not I'm not this isn't news to anybody listening to this. Listen, I gotta I, I got Black it. Twitter is a thing that Everybody listens to this podcast knows this already. Yes, yes. yes. Good smoke. Oh, I was going to say yeah. in our last story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, before Good Smoke, we had uh, Brian shout out Terry. to Brian Terry, who yes. is a, a, a chef in Community San activist, Francisco. Food San activist. Francisco, yeah. I love that. Um, who is doing some really cool things and teaching teaching people how to eat healthy, why they should eat healthy, how uh, to get access to healthy food, right. ways in which we can depend on our community to continue getting access to healthy food because that is a problem for it's a lot a of problem, people. Problem uh, in living in these these food deserts um, <clears throat> and coming up with just solutions to, you know, get 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 food to people in those areas then then the most recent story that that, uh, that we put out was great smoke smoke. yeah shout out to jesse horton and dr rachel knox and killer mike and nikki coleman uh uh, seattle local uh who all looked out to you know kind of come through with this one that's dope that's super dope yeah which is which is side note great smoke is about black people's presence in the cannabis industry yes building more of it and also kind of showing uh, what we are doing in the industry, Absolutely. both in the cultivation side and in the medical side, and explaining prohibition, yeah, and yes. why we need to. Oh, push and Killer Mike was in it. Too. Yeah, yeah. So Killer Mike broke down or gave us a ton of jewels <laughs> in regards to uh, cannabis uh, decriminalization yes. and uh, push for prohibition. Uh, <clears throat> he, he considered himself. We consider him a, a cannabis enthusiast. He says he's a <laughs> cannabis activist and a, a people's activist. But, you know, I think ultimately it was with him and Nikki Coleman, a future attorney uh, here who studied at Seattle University, I believe, who is, um, you know, trying to work toward pushing this city and doing some really good work in the city uh, and pushing the people in the city uh, toward, I mean, just shining light on the fact that it, although it is recreational here, black and brown kids are still arrested at a higher rate than white folks yeah. uh, when it comes to marijuana possession and usage. So these are things that we still have to look and take into consideration, Absolutely. even though it's quote unquote legal here in the city. So, you know, just trying to uh, explain all of this stuff to people so that they're less scared of yeah. the substance of this miracle plant, this drug 
so that we can start to understand its benefits uh, as opposed to simply being scared of it because my parents scared me away from weed when I was early not because they thought for madness yeah right Right. so it wasn't my mom was uh, in the medical field it wasn't so much I don't think she bought into the bullshit of it being a gateway drug but just you know kind of in the conservative south you're facing a lot more trouble if you get caught with it than if the white kids were caught with it so for those reasons I was kind of just scared away from it but moving to California where the culture is completely different and then marrying a woman from the Bay Area where you know Humboldt County grows the best weed apparently on the planet according to Killer Mike it was just you know I was introduced (laughs) to this product reliable source right so uh, it was different and uh, just experiencing that opened my mind up a lot toward uh, how much this can really help people and how much this information is hidden away because it's not controlled currently by Mm -hmm. pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, well, yeah, and then those are the the two kind of interesting points that I feel like really speak to to black people in ways that are significant is one, the top five diseases that that affect us and afflict us the most are all able to be treated by cannabis. The other thing is speaking to cannabis legislation is that yes, we are arrested and incarcerated at what is it, twice the amount of rate? The Something rate is like, like that, some yeah. crazy, like double the amount as the majority. But in addition to the fact that we are oftentimes not fully aware of the legislation that now exists that can have so much expunged from people's records. And when right. I say expunged, I mean reversed, taken off. Right. You know what I mean? And when you realize what having a cannabis charge on your record does to you. Student loans. I mean, done. student loans, affordable housing, you know what I mean? You're just, you're, you're, you're really cut off at the knees in a Speaking number of ways. And so expunging those records is critical. Right. And that is a barrier for a lot of folks. Financial, some people don't even know it's a thing you can do. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, the work that, that Jesse is doing with the, the MCBA with the Minority Cannabis Business Association uh, is really incredible in that they help people expunge records, but also just edifying folks. This is a yeah. thing you can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Flex that muscle, because. Um, it's so dope. Y'all are, y'all are, yeah. y'all are so inspiring. Oh, I appreciate well, you, bro. So are you. Man, just in because just in the sense of it really is, it's as corny as it sounds. It's edutainment, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, it's super corny. Yeah, it's yeah. super corny, right? It's super corny. But at the same time, like you're creating dope content. But it's like you were saying earlier. It's it's not impossible. No, man, and right? I don't think that anybody else is gonna do it. That's why we're doing yeah, it. Yeah, because it's, it was it was an, it was a lot of content that we were watching. We're cord cutters. I, we've not had cable for years, right? So a lot of the stuff that we watch is just online. Vox, I AJ Plus, Vice. ADD, shout out to the black owned, uh, all deaf digital. Yes. I had to, I keep forgetting to, when I go through this list of like Mike and all these video, all these online content producers, mm. I tend to forget the ones that are owned by black folks because we don't, we're not, a, we're, there's not a fair representation of us. So right. when so I tend I... to not think when, when people rattle these names off, they say not to mention the root or, yeah. you know, any, anything owned by black and brown folks. Me too. Uh, shout out to the Latinx community doing their thing. But I noticed that when I was watching things like that, it was often journalists parachuting into certain communities and explaining mm-hmm. how these people live to white folks and I'm not I don't I don't need I know how I live I know how and why my cousins act the way they do because right. they talk to me I talk to them first before you do so I don't right. need somebody <laughs> find it to these communities explaining it 
poorly. Right. Well, and it's so, also so like people who aren't going to visit exactly, that and, don't and it's look also at us. like right. obviously this wasn't for me because I know this. So yeah. it's just another like it to me is just further illustrates like this was not made for me. This was right. not made with you me in mind yeah. Yeah. at all. Yeah. Like this is for other people to consume, and so eject. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm not watching this and taking all that into consideration because we had the equipment on deck and Maisa was skilled and really you know just just well versed in taking beautiful pictures of black and brown people and with. TLC and making sure that they were shown and showcased in a, in a really favorable light provided us with enough confidence to Absolutely. to to help us kind of get things done and kind of get that ball rolling initially. And from there, we just kept filming, kept right. figuring out which stories we wanted next. And then, you know, now we're in a space where people are approaching us, saying these are the folks that you that you might want to pay attention to and highlight. Absolutely. And that's how we know it's working. But the next step would be to corral a number of artists, photographers, writers, videographers, because we can't consistently tell these stories. As right. as much as we're trying to, to share, we can't consistently tell a story that's directed, filmed, and edited by Ali and Maisa. Right. We need other people to, you know, right. I, I don't I don't want to come to Seattle and tell a Seattle story. I need right. people from Seattle to tell the Seattle story. I can tell that's you my nice. story and how I see Seattle, but right somebody's gonna look at that and it's like mm, that's not real and right. that doesn't make us any different than the people that I, I, I was just complaining about earlier so Absolutely. we need to you know kind of continue to empower people to see that you can tell your own story here is how you do it or right. here is how we've done it so far Absolutely. and now you guys can use this model to you know hopefully rock with us and, and tell whatever it is that you want to share and we'll definitely make it work right yeah how can, what is a patron and how can people become patrons <laughs> Uh, Patreon.com uh, is uh, the source of uh, some income for us. So people, we have supporters, man, paying supporters who have been down. Dominique has been down since day one, so man, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Hardcore supporters. Uh, so people sign up, you know, and each month uh, you you can you can offer how whatever level of donation you're comfortable with, from one dollar up to two fifty. And people have been giving generously each month. Deduct it from your bank account. You sign up with a debit card, and you're able to receive a number of different gifts depending on your level of donation. Uh, so that's one way. If that is not you know your 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 jam, you don't want to get down like that. Then occasionally we throw uh, or we uh, host screenings uh, of our stories. Uh, we've done it three times now here in Seattle. A couple of times in some other cities across the country. We're looking forward to, to doing it again. Uh, hopefully again in Oakland. Uh, we want to do it in Los Angeles and New York real soon. And people have been coming out and you know this was something that we kind of stumbled into. Originally we thought that we were only going to be showcasing these stories online but it works well on a big screen at Sif Egyptian or at the Northwest Film Forum and people have or been coming Atlanta out Film or, or at the Atlanta Film Festival <laughs> hey, people have been coming yeah. out and you know kind of just uh, <clears throat> giving their money to, to watch our stories that they could have otherwise seen for free online so that's how you know the community supporting us and they have been really forgiving because as we've been learning how to do this stuff yeah. people have been watching and it's been like okay I'll forgive those Audio, <laughs> audio issues <glitches>. or uh, <laughs> those hard edits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's 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 all love, and people are are really supportive, and uh, that's the only way that we've been we've been able that's to continue dope. to go. Because as as working artists, this shit gets hard sometimes, and yeah. you know, it's it, it's expensive to do it. Yeah, and, absolutely, you know, it's right. It's time, it's, it's so time for people to open up their wallet and come out of pocket to you know kind of continue to rock with us has been really moving and really inspiring. Yeah, and then. Uh, T-shirts. 
t-shirts t-shirts are online everything so if you become a patron i think we just were looking at it if you become a patron for 25 dollars, what sorry he said it's like an ad if you become a patron for 25 dollars a month you will receive an uncode t-shirt in black or white <laughs> so that's our little commercial for that. Yeah. And if you don't want to be a patron, you can just go on that store and, and you know, put that thing in your cart. Hey. We also have bags and hats. <laughs> He's modeling the, the hat merch, right now. Merch, right. That's weird. And yes. And yes, Dominique uh, says, you know, represent with the Uncode t-shirt. Were you wearing but, your hat in the picture? I, yeah. I, I wasn't, but if you, you guys want to take another one, then we definitely. <laughs> I'm surprised you took it off. Listen, man. Every time we, uh, yeah, I did. I'm every surprised time, you when did. We, when we when we do go out and you know, there's uh, we have to take pictures for interviews or whatever. I'm definitely making okay. sure that I'm see, don't, worry. Cool. <laughs> don't worry, there will be a picture. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap. I got to be in King sure. in ten minutes. I have one last That's question yes. that I don't think we addressed. When did you? How long have you been in Seattle? Two. Years? Two years, going on three years now, yeah. Okay. So I think people say that it takes about two years to kind of get acclimated here. So we're still oh. waiting. In order to <laughs> I didn't two it's years, so warming so up. I'm two up. years warming until up. you fall into the sunken place. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> I mean, I you know what the big area is? Listen, man, I had a lady on the train the other day. I had a, I have a moleskin oh, notebook. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's bendable. This that matters because yeah. the, her reaction to this bendable notebook is ridiculous. And so yeah. she steps on the train, and her eyes are super big when yeah. she sees me. And I thought it was just because she saw me. Yeah, and it was just like <laughs> big black man. I'm immediately scared. Yeah. I'm used to that look, so I don't really think too much of it. Yeah. Uh, until I saw her looking down at the notebook, and then she very loudly was like, oh, "I'm not even going to tell you what I thought that was." Well, now I know what you thought it was. <laughs> First off, also you see me bending this thing, and if you saw my Nosekin notebook, on, on, I have like a, a uncode decal on it with yeah. big block white letters on it. So, what pistol do you know has white letters on the side of it? But for you to get that shook and to make this announcement on the train <laughs> wow. that you thought that I was that, that like I had a, I brought I brought a gun and would just have it by my side, just. <laughs> lackadaisically carrying it but so what freaked me out not that she said it although that probably should have in in retrospect but I like turn and I see like the transit whatever whistleblower with the the flashlight on the train and I'm like man like had he been someone else had she reacted a little bit differently had I reacted a little bit differently there would have been a there would have been a situation on this train that's all because she thought and she projected right. this whatever upon me. So that's what I mean why, by people like, y'all have to black and brown us because I'm one of them now. We have to work. It's just a different type of work here being in the city and just comforting I've white seen, people all the time is a nonstop job here. I've seen like mid 20 white dude tatted from head to toe, big ass <laughs> knife exposed, just chilling. And I was like, hmm. And nobody, <laughs> I wonder. And nobody takes into consideration how unsafe you feel with yeah, that person, huh. or just yeah, being yeah. here around majority white folks, how you feel unsafe. Yeah. Yeah. But I have to take into consideration how worried and how nervous and scared they are when they come to the South End. Right, it's crazy. All the time, I have to, I have right. to feel for you. I have to be empathetic. Being a good person is a, it's, it's hard it's, work. It's you got to do it all the time. Yeah. It, like you can't, that, yeah. right? Like you can't not be if you if you're a good person. Whatever good you did, you have to do all of that and then some tomorrow. Yeah. It's a lot of work, and to be that good of a person to white people all the time, you're supposed to be my ally. Right. Get... right, right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, anyway, we can talk about this like, all day. We go. usually do, so we, um, we need to put a stop to it. Thank you, mm, but thank you, thank you both for. I like for the, the mood videos, the meditative ones. Thank you for yeah. those. You know, yeah. I work really hard on those. I, <laughs> I, like, I like them. <laughs> 
I love them too. No love. I'm like, man, these are I like great. Yes. I love them. They're great. <laughs> Is that Watch movies. Movie? Mm-hmm. I like it. Watch movies. Yeah, I'm well. Yeah, it's it's a it's a creative way to use our B-roll. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was wondering. I was like, yeah. "Is this B-roll? Yeah. It is. It, yeah, it's okay. all B-roll. I mean, some of the footage comes from like we we actually use in stories, but it's all B-roll, and it's really just meant to like just like be a vibe, like Zen, just like watch and listen and to. That's the... exactly what it does. Yeah, well, I'm like, oh, I'm like this. Yeah. <laughs> good, good, good. Using my mobile device to watch it. That's right. <laughs> right. And retweeting and social media, all that's that, it. engaging with the content. So, <laughs> thanks Facebook, for us. Twitter, Instagram. At Everything the uncode. is at the uncode. T H E U N C O D E. Get the T-shirts, get the hats, become a patron. If you're a creator, subscribe to the YouTube. Get at us. Yeah. Yes. Um, this is Mike with Uncode. Stay all black. You've been listening to No Blueprint. This is Ali with Uncode. Forever, I love Atlanta, Los Angeles. Always in my heart. Seattle. We're getting comfortable. Slowly but surely, we're becoming more and more acquainted. This is long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the scene with no blueprint, man. We appreciate y'all and everything you've done for us. Thank yes. you. Thank you. That's dope. That's dope. That's dope. That's dope.